0: Over the last few months, uh, I've been uh, getting back into exercising and just trying to trying to do different things. Um, So I've run a few times, I've I've ridden my bike, I've started going back to the gym and just trying to get be active, right? Because right now with everything going on, it's really easy just to kind of be stagnant, not move. Um, Well, this week, I I, on Friday, I decided. I said, you know what? I got a little bit of time. I'm looking for something to do to get me out the house. Uh, so I did an old favorite of mine. Um, I decided I went out to the batting cages in Homa. Um, when I was a kid, I remember going at, with my dad. We would, we would go, it was, uh, was kind of like a little ritual. We would take off, we would go hit 10 tokens, go eat at Taco Bell, and then come home. Um, and it was like, I, I remember for years and years and years, probably from the time I was eight years old to 11, we could have built a batting cage at the house instead of going and do this for the amount of money that we spent going to the batting cages, right? Um, so during uh, on Friday, I, was, I decided, I was like, you know what? I feel like going hit. I feel like going do something different just to get active. Great. Went out to the batting cage, uh, hitting softballs and hitting and hitting and hitting. And I remember, like, as it was going on, I remember all the good, good memories of, like, coming out having good days and just the nostalgia of being there and, and being around and seeing some of the people that still work there, that worked there back then, and all these things, seeing a dad with a kid, you know, like those kind of things. It was just a really cool way to kind of reflect on all these perfect memories. All these memories that just seemed to be so perfect and so wonderful. There was no fighting or arguing ever, right? Um, but no, no it, was, it was great just to be able to reflect and think back and just reminisce on the perfection and the the beauty beauty of what was. Well as I was getting about three quarters of the way through and then almost done with it, my hand started to bother me and it started to bother me and then when I went to leave I took my batting glove off and uh, right now I have like four massive blisters on my hand. Um, The reason why I hadn't swung a bat in three years and it's the normal thing that if you do that many swings it's gonna wear down your hands and It hurts. (laughs) Not going to lie, the the hand sanitizer stings like like I don't know what. Um, It is horrible. But it was interesting that when I was on my way home, I was thinking about it. I said, you know, I'm thinking about all these wonderful memories, but I didn't remember the blisters. I didn't remember the, the, the stinging sensation, the feeling that whenever it was a cold night and I'd hit and I would hit the wrong part of the or and it would shock my hands. I didn't think of those things. I just thought of the, the beautiful, wonderful, kind of nostalgic, romanticized memories. And it was really easy to think that it was all perfect, when in reality, that was, was a lot of suffering. There was, a, there was a lot of aches, there was a lot of pains, there were a lot of things like that whenever you'd go and do those kind of things. I think we have a tendency as human beings, just when we're reflecting back on our life, to look at our life in the best possible way most of the time. majority of the time we, we, we have a tendency to reflect back on our life and think of it as, cl- as close to perfect as it can possibly be. That's where the phrase, the good old days, comes from. right? Every one of us. Uh, There was a psychologist that said this the other day. I was listening to a talk and he said, everybody tends to think, most people tend to think that the time they grew up was the best. So if you, like, I grew up in the mid-2000s and like, that was when I was in high school and kind of the coming of age and, and coming into my own mindset of what the world was and looked like and how it operated. Um, that was the best time because there was enough internet but not too much. We were, we were joking around and, and, and dumb and stupid with each other, but at the same time like, we were constantly connected and there was things going on. But if I asked my sister, she would say, oh, no, 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 it was the 90s, Right? Because the music was the best. You got Nirvana and Pearl Jam and God-awful colors and everything else, right? Like the, the, the hair, the ponytail sticking straight up. I remember those pictures and I keep teasing about it. Um, but like if you ask somebody else, like they would say, oh, no, 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 the 70s was the best. Like we would, we would go around and we would do that and we had rock music and we're not going to talk about what you did when you went to the rock music concerts, but we had all these things and they were great. We have a tendency, right, to think of the time we grew up, to reflect back and think it was perfect. But in reality, none of those times were perfect. They had, to just, they had a, a lot of discord in the world. They had a lot of things going on. They had a lot of things that were bad. But we have a tendency to look back and reflect on perfect. In the same way, we have a tendency when we look forward to think and dream in perfect ideals. Right? Right? On a, on a wedding day, a bride walks down the aisle. Her husband her, her her to be her groom is waiting at the altar. All he's worried about is not passing out. But in her mind, there's like all of the dreams of life are out in front of her. We're going to have a beautiful house. Tire swing in the front yard. Picket fence. Two and a half kids like we're supposed to have. Like it's going to be great. And there's not going to be anything wrong. We're never going to argue. It's going to be awesome. And a year later, it's... He leaves, the, he leaves the toilet seat up, right? A year later, it's, uh, why can't he remember to put the big spoons with the big spoons and the little spoons with the little spoons, right? Because it's not perfect. But we have a tendency to dream and look forward and reflect on life, both forward and backwards, in perfect terms, free of suffering. Our gospel today and our first reading today both teach us and both reveal to us that not only is suffering going to be present, but suffering is also necessary. No, no, body, no, no person on their wedding day thinks that they might have a sickness that hits their family with them or, God, God forbid, a kid. No person that walking on their wedding day, no, no person reflects and thinks, you know what, what if we lose our job tomorrow? What happens if a pandemic hits, and all of a sudden I got to balance things? I know for me as a priest, whenever I was when I was in the seminary, about to come into, about to get ordained and, and get ready and excited for being in a parish and then being a pastor and all these kind of things, uh, I, I had I, I spoke in a lot of and thought in a lot of very perfect terms. Like I'm going to preach, and thousands are going to come from all over the place, and people are going to convert on the spot when they hear my homilies, or they're going to come to confession with me and never sin again a romantic idea, it's a good idea, but it's not real. Because suffering still exists. Think Father Bruce, for example, when, when he got ordained, he got ordained and expected that oh, all these things, because we were talking about this, he, he, he expected like it was going to be awesome and perfect, his first mass is going to be beautiful and all these things. He got ordained during a pandemic and he had his first mass during a tropical storm. It looked different than what he dreamed. What Jesus tells us today, what we learn from the readings today, is that suffering is not only inevitable, suffering is necessary. Because if we use the suffering, if we look at the suffering, if we embrace the suffering in the way that we're supposed to, in the way that Jesus gives us today, then it can actually lead us in deeper relationship with Him. And not just be, woe is me, sad, depressing suffering. Now, it's not to say that suffering is going to be easy or that suffering is going to be fun, because by definition, suffering equals stuff we don't want to do, right? Suffering, it, it, it's bad. It's not fun, right? But it's going to happen. So what is the Lord teaching us today? What does the Scripture tell us today? In our first reading, we hear about Elijah, I mean, about Jeremiah. Jeremiah, if, you want to, if we want a little biopic of Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is young. We hear in the first in the first chapters of this book that he is he thinks he's too young to be a prophet. And God promises him, and God says, I'm gonna make you one of the greatest prophets. When you go, do not say that you're too young. Instead, know that I'm giving you the words that you have to proclaim. And from a prophet standpoint, Jeremiah is looking at this and he's like, you know what? Great. Let's go. I'm excited. He's fired up. He's ready to go. He's all excited about the way in which God has called him to go and proclaim his word to Israel, to the, to the Hebrew nation. So he's really, really excited. He goes out and God says, these are the words I want you to say. And Jeremiah says them. And he's expecting to be able to speak to 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people and that they're all going to turn back to God and all these things. And instead, they reject him the message that Jeremiah has is saying that if you are not faithful, God is going to destroy this nation. And people didn't want to hear it. So today in our, in our first reading, when we hear Jeremiah, he says these words, you duped me, Lord, and I allowed myself to be duped. The words that he's saying, he's saying, Lord, you tricked me. You told me that I was going to be a prophet. I was going to be great, a great prophet to the nations. And you tricked me. You gave me a message that people didn't want to hear. I know it, it, it was it, Jeremiah had this dream of what his, his ministry was going to look like, and he thought it was going to be perfect and great and grand, and everybody was going to love it and fall in line. And in reality, God, you tricked me. And he dealt with suffering. Because not only did they reject the teaching, not only did they criticize him, Not only did they revolt against him, they tried to kill him because they didn't like the words he had to say. You duped me, Lord, and I allowed myself to be duped. We look at our gospel today. We have Peter. Now, Peter, we've had Peter the last couple of weeks. We've heard Peter do a few different things. Peter was the one that was in the boat, got out, walked on water, right? Lost sight of Jesus and started to sink, and Jesus says, "Get back in the boat," right? Then last week we hear Peter. He's, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And they all give different answers. And Peter says, you're the Son of God. You're the second person of the Trinity, now a man. You are the divine, the Messiah, the one that's to come. Great. And Jesus says, you are correct. And I'm going to make you Peter, the rock, and make you the foundation of the church. Now that Jesus has done this, and this is just following when Peter, when Peter gives the right answer. This is just right after Jesus now decides He's going to tell His disciples what's going on. He's going to tell His disciples exactly what's going to happen, exactly what's going to go on. And He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious elite are going to revolt against Me. They're going to put Me to death, and then I'm going to rise. Very, very simple, spoiler alert, like Jesus is telling his disciples exactly what's going to happen at the end of the gospel, at the end of his life. Peter, though, is expecting it to be perfect. He's expecting this this ministry, expecting him to build this church without any suffering. And so what does he do? He pulls Jesus aside. And what the gospel says today is that he rebuked him. He tells them off. He corrects the Son of God. Peter knows who the Son of God is, but he looks at him and he says, no, 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 come see, come over here. What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. You're going to go, we're going to go, do. and they're going to they're gonna reject you and kill you? That, that don't make sense. No. I don't accept that. I don't accept you having to suffer. That's where Jesus says the very, very famous line, get behind me, Satan. But I think the next line is just as important. He says, you are becoming an obstacle to the kingdom of God. The word obstacle is actually a bad word. It's a a bad translation of this word. The word in Greek is skandalon, and skandalon means a rock that you trip over. So now he has gone from being the rock, the foundation of the church, to now the rock, a scandal, something that's going to cause people to trip and not be able to follow the Lord, that he's saying that you have gone from giving me the right answer to missing the point more than you know. And he looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan, you're becoming an obstacle. Because I think what Jesus is telling us is that suffering is not only inevitable, it's necessary. That Jesus is going to show us the way of how to suffer and how to suffer well when suffering comes. That in times, whenever there's storms, when there's hurt, when there's struggle, whenever there's pain, whatever it is, that we rely and lean on God more than we know. That we would abandon our will to God's. Now the last few months have been um, difficult to say the least. Most of us, Um, but I think as we've been, as I've been praying with this scripture, as I've been praying and and reflecting on these words, has been just this with this idea of what suffering looks like. The one thing that I've come to realize that every it seems like, and this is from conversations with friends and with family and with parishioners, and just watching what's playing out on the news and on the in media and on social media and all these different places, it seems like the one thing that has been pretty consistent across the world, across our culture right now that we're all suffering with is we are tired. If that's not you, praise God. But I, I think that it, it speaks to a lot of what's going on in the world right now that we're flat out tired. Because quite honestly, I, I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tired of trying to figure out what's the next thing to do for the church? Not, not as a pity party, but just in reality, right? I think a lot of people, families are, are tired of trying to figure out when are my kids going back to school and how in the heck am I supposed to do home learning? What does that look like? We're tired, right? I, I think we're tired of trying to be worried about if my job's going to exist or if it doesn't exist or what do I do about a job now. I think we're tired, uh, I, I know I am, of putting on the TV and every sentence that comes out of anybody's mouth has to be political. Whether it be the Democratic National Convention, the Republican National Convention, or no convention, I don't care. I'm just tired of everything being political. Every phrase, every issue, having two sides and you got to line up with one or the other. I don't know about you, but I'm I'm tired that every time I put on the TV, the other thing that if it's not about being political, then it's about being on one side or the right side or wrong side or some side of history, whether it be shootings or protests or burning down buildings or whatever it is. Like I'm tired. I think our world, in a lot of ways, is saturated and tired. But the reality is, is that the Lord still is teaching us. How to embrace suffering. The words that Jesus says at the end of today's Gospel, the three little basic points that we've heard before, but that may not have sunk in, those three points still speak true today. Because when we are tired, we don't want to do those things. When we are in the middle of suffering, in the midst of suffering, we don't want to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. In fact, whenever we're dealing with suffering, we don't want to deny ourselves. Instead, we want to rely on ourselves. You know what? I'm going I'm to make it do. I'm going to just pull myself up by my bootstraps, white knuckle it, and get through it. Jesus is saying, No, 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 no. I don't want you to rely on yourself. I want you to rely on me. Deny yourself. Push away those things and rely on me. I want you to lean into your prayer life whenever things are are wrong, when things are hurting, when you're tired. A lot of times we, we don't want to embrace our cross, we don't want to pick up our cross. No, 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 I want to abandon the cross completely. There was a a psychologist that was talking and said, somebody asked him about the meaning of life, and that's a big esoteric question, an abstract question that gets thrown around sometimes. And he said, one of the things that brings out the meaning of life is having meaning in your life. Having a responsibility to live for. If you think about it, one, I know for me, whenever we had the stay-at-home order and everybody was locked in their houses and we couldn't talk and we couldn't do this and we couldn't do all these different things that were normal parts of life, it was really, really easy to say, I'm going to sleep until like noon, I'm not going to worry about anything, I don't have anything to do. It would be really easy to do that, but after about two days of doing that, your life feels empty. If you've ever lost a job, you know it's something that misses, that's missing whenever I wake up and I don't have a responsibility to do for. Oftentimes when we're struggling, we want to just abandon the cross instead of picking it up. We want to ignore the burden and the struggle of suffering instead of going towards it and embracing it at all. And then finally following Jesus, like whenever we're struggling, when we're suffering, we don't want to follow Him. A lot of times it's easier just for us to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. I'm going to avoid it like the plague. I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to leave it behind me and I'm not going to worry about it. But instead, Jesus is saying, no, 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 follow me. Lean into me. Lean into my relationship with me. Lean into the struggle and invite me into it. Let's pick it up together and keep following me. The burdens of suffering are on every one of us in some way shape or form, right? And they continue to be with us and the reality is is that life is going to include suffering. But if we suffer the right way, if we suffer the way that Jesus is talking about, we connect our suffering with his. Because the reality is the the way of the cross is a beautiful prayer during Lent, but the way of the cross reveals to us that Jesus is okay and not afraid of our suffering. St. Rose of Lima said that apart from the cross, there is no other ladder to heaven. That Jesus himself, when he was speaking to Peter, makes sure that Peter knows I want you to enter into the suffering as well. I want you to follow in my footsteps. The reason why Jeremiah was a, was a successful prophet was not because everybody listened. It's because he remained faithful even in the face of persecution. Jesus invites us in the same way. If we're tired, if we're, if we're lonely, if we're angry, whatever we're dealing with in our life, Jesus invites us in the same way. The same three steps. To embrace the suffering and invite Him into it with us. It's a lot easier said than done. It's a lot easier to kind of to, to, to think of it as a good idea. And it's a lot harder to actually invite the Lord in. But whether, whatever it is that you're suffering with, whatever it is that you're carrying, whatever burden it is that you either want to try and ignore, distract yourself from, or stuff, the Lord is saying, no, no, no. Let me in. Let me come in with you. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And let's carry it together so that you can follow me. Amen.